You'll find this evening's reading on page 811, if you have a church Bible. We're in Matthew's Gospel at chapter 6, and we begin at verse 1. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, page 811. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, thank you, Nigel, for reading for us. Um, Can I encourage you just to keep the Bible open in front of you as we spend a bit of time looking at uh, this part of Jesus' sermon? And if it's helpful to you, just on the back of the service sheet, there's uh, just a brief outline to show you uh, where we're going. Now, let me introduce you to Sam. Sam is fictional. Uh, Sam is a fictional friend from work. And on the staff night out, uh, you get chatting to him over a Lamb Rogue and Josh and some Poppadoms, and you're, you get to asking him about his upbringing. And it surprises you to find out that it turns out that he is a pastor's kid. He tells you that he came from a Christian family, that he used to go to church when he was young, but then when he got into his late teens, he packed it all in. If you don't mind me asking, you say, uh, why was that? And this is what he says. 
He says, I hope it doesn't offend you, but to be honest, it was as I just couldn't stand the hypocrisy. What I saw was people who did religious stuff perfectly on a Sunday. They prayed these long-winded prayers. They put their money in the offering plate with a big clank. They made it clear just how deeply self-sacrificing they were. But when you looked at what was really going on in their lives, well, you realized it was all an act. Behind that kind of mask of religious activity, there was all sorts of nasty stuff going on. And it just completely put me off. That's why. Well, maybe at that point you think, well, what I really should have done is sat next to Tony from Accounts After All. What would you say to Sam? What would you say to the many like him who would say similar things today? It's not easy, is it? It's not easy because, well, we know the truth of what he's saying, don't we? We've seen it. There is hypocrisy. There is that sort of religious mask, that act that's put on to impress others while private sin is running rife. We know that because we've seen it too. We can all tell of stories of people who are just like the people Sam is describing. But here's the really scary thing, that we know the truth. We know that that kind of hypocrisy lies in me and in you too. Don't we know that if we're honest? Don't I put on a mask when I come to church? Don't I pretend? Doesn't my public religious life mask the true state of my private spiritual life? Doesn't yours? Don't we appear to be more holy than we really are? Well, here's what Sam needs, and it's the same thing that we need. We need to hear the teaching of the only man who ever lived, whose outward religious life entirely matched up with his inner religious life. We need to hear the teaching of Jesus, the only truly authentic man of faith. And that's what we have here in Matthew chapter 6. And he has a lot to say about hypocrisy. Let's pray as we listen to him. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word that has come to us through your Holy Spirit and through your servant Matthew. We thank you that in this book we have a recording of the words of Jesus Christ. We thank you that therefore we can trust that these words are true and loving and kind. And therefore we pray, Lord, as we receive these words tonight, you would, by your Spirit, convict our hearts, change us, we pray that we might become people who are truly authentic in every area of life as we serve you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in verse 1. Beware of hypocrisy by asking, who am I trying to please with my religious activity or my religious practices? Where have we got to? Well, so far in this most famous of Jesus' parables, Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been speaking to his disciples and the crowd who were kind of gathered around him about the kind of life that people in his kingdom should have. He told us in chapter 5, verse 20, just flick your eyes across the page, at the beginning of his sermon, he told us there that his kingdom people 
must have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the people who everybody listening would know were the most serious and most devout religious people around. It's a shocking thing to say. Righteousness that exceeds theirs? Sounds impossible. But then in the rest of chapter 5, Jesus has taught us that the righteousness he's speaking of is an inner righteousness. It's a righteousness of heart. It's not mere external law-keeping. That's what the Pharisees did, but Jesus wants a change of heart. So it's not just murder. It's don't get angry. It's not just don't commit adultery. It's don't lust, and so on. And that section of his sermon this inner heart change that he wants to bring about in us, it culminated in what we heard uh, last week with Jesus' commands to love even our enemies and in this way to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, as Robin mentioned earlier on, we've seen that this is an impossibly high bar for us to reach in our sinful state. And so what Jesus is teaching is doing to us is it's driving us to our knees. It's helping us to be poor in spirit, to mourn over our sin, and then to call out to Jesus to change us. And that's what he does. As we trust in his death for our sins, and as he puts his spirit inside us, he he changes us. And that's what we've seen in chapter 5. Now, as we hit chapter 6, we see a change in emphasis in the sermon. You might have picked that up uh, as it was read. Let me show you, first of all, the main theme of this sermon. The big idea of it is in uh, verse 1, of this section, sorry. The big idea is in verse 1. And then what happens is it's illustrated uh, in three different ways, the three main areas of religious life uh, for the Jewish people of Jesus' day. That's how it's laid out on the handout for you. So verse 1 Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's the, that's the big idea. That's the headline. Then three illustrations. Illustration number one, it's then verse two. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Then illustration number two is in verse five. When you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites. Then number three, verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So there you go. That's how Jesus' message is structured. It's kind of easy to see. So let's think then about verse one. Jesus here, having just said, be perfect, now says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now we may have thought from chapter 5 that all Jesus cared about was the inner life, about the heart. But that's not true. The heart's where the change needs to begin, in the inner life, But Jesus makes it clear here that he thinks that the outer life matters too, really matters. Now notice here that Jesus assumes that his kingdom people, they're going to practice their righteousness, that they'll be doing acts of righteousness, they'll be giving to the poor, they'll be praying, 
there'll be fasting. These are the normal things that God's people do and have done over the Old Testament period, and he expects them to continue in his kingdom. So we need to realize that what Jesus is really going after in these verses is not the acts themselves, but the motivation for those acts. Jesus doesn't say, beware of practicing your righteousness. He doesn't say, even say, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's the key bit. We're all tempted to do our acts of righteousness, not for God's sake, to please our Heavenly Father, but to gain praise from people. And it's this attitude, this motivation, that leads to hypocrisy. Now, why is that, why is that the case? Well, you see, if this, is, if this is my motivation, then what I end up doing is all my religious activity is for my own reputation, to build my public reputation. That's my goal. And when I do that, what happens is over time, my public spiritual life becomes all that matters to me. And when I get credit from others for my acts of devotion... That in turn leads me to believe that my private spiritual life doesn't really matter at all. A distance, a gap appears between what goes on in public, because that's what I begin to really care about, and what goes on in private. There's a gap and I become a hypocrite. See, Jesus doesn't want his people to stop doing these things. He's telling us to be aware of hypocrisy as we do these things. That distance between what I do publicly and what I do privately. And he's zeroing in on that by getting us to ask the question, look, who are you trying to please with your religious activity? Are you seeking praise from people to build your own reputation or are you seeking to live your life in front of your heavenly Father for his glory alone? That's the big question. Now there's three illustrations. Let's turn to the first one, which is verse 2 to 4, and that of giving, verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sounds no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So giving, he assumes that we will be generous to the poor among us. Not if you give, but when you give to the needy. But notice he's going after the way that we give. See, the Pharisees and the religious types of his day, they loved to make a big song and dance about their giving. They quite literally blew their own trumpets. Today they would have got one of those massive kind of cardboard checks. Have you seen those when you make a donation? Uh, Someone filming it, they put it on Instagram. They create a charity bearing their own name just to show everyone just how generous uh, they really are. See, it's not being charitable that matters to these people. It's that they are known for being charitable. This person is not so much helping the poor, but using the poor to help himself. 
And Jesus says, look, this person's going to get a reward of sorts. They're going to get praise from people. They'll get hundreds of likes on their posts. They'll get their name in the paper. They'll get things named after them. But that's all it will be. This act of religious piety will gain them no reward from God. It will not count in his sight. Instead, Jesus proposes another way, verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Just try and make our, our giving so private that if it were possible, we ourselves wouldn't know it was going on. Should be hidden, should be secrets. Why is that? Well, it's so that we just give for the sake of our Father, for God's sake, and for those to whom we're giving to, and not for ourselves. Only God may see it, and He's the only one who counts anyway. Anglican minister John Stott put it like this, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. This is the kind of authentic spiritual life that Jesus calls for in his kingdom people. Practice your righteousness by giving in secret, for your heavenly Father sees it and he will reward you. What's that reward? Well, the reward's not necessarily in material prosperity, of course. Now, it'll be the rewards that we've already heard about at the beginning of this sermon. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's giving. Now, illustration number two, praying. It's an extended version. This is verse 5 to 15. Jesus gives us two ways to pray and get it wrong. There's a Jewish way to get it wrong and there's a Gentile way to get it wrong. The Jewish way is in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. There it is again, be seen by others. Pharisees and their like, they love not just to pray, but to be seen to pray. Is how one writer puts it. A man could easily succumb to the temptation of praying up to the congregation. The acceptable cliches, the appropriate statements, the sonorous tones, the fervent voices, all become tools to win approval and perhaps to compete with the chap who led in prayer last week. Or perhaps an even better Opportunity for self-promotion. That was when the trumpet call sounded uh, to call people to prayer. You could then demonstrate your astounding piety by just praying loudly in the street wherever you were. What a guy, people would whisper to each other. So bold, so godly, I could never do that. See how it works? We can use prayer to boost our own reputation. And then the Gentile way to get it wrong, that's in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. 
possible not only to try and impress other people in our praying, but also to try and impress God, as if we can kind of bend his arm into answering us by using these sort of long-winded sentences or particularly holy-sounding words and phrases. In that case, too, prayer again is being used in a self-serving way, is to get what we want out of it. Now, what does Jesus think about all of this? He says that the person who uses prayer like this has forgotten what it's all about. Prayer is not a tool for you to use in order to boost your public profile. It isn't given to impress others. It isn't given to impress God that he might do what you want. Now, what does Jesus say? Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who, is in, who sees in secret will reward you. I don't think Jesus here is outlawing public prayer. He himself prays in public and his disciples do uh, as well. No, he's not doing that. What he's doing is exam- it's asking us, he's pushing us to examine our hearts. What kind of prayer is most important to us? Is it the one we pray here in the microphone? Or is it the one that we utter in the secret place where no one sees us but God? See, Jesus says it's there. It's there that your spiritual health is really measured. When it's just you and your Father in heaven talking together with simple words overflowing from a heart that's poor in spirit, mourning over sin, depending on the one who knows what you need before you ask him. Do you think there's a danger? Do you think you're susceptible to the danger that Jesus warns us about here? Here's a couple of questions that you could ask just to help you diagnose that. Is your public prayer life more frequent or more fervent than your private prayer life? What's more important, your prayers at church on Sunday or in the prayer meeting this coming Tuesday, or your prayers made at home in your room on your own? What's more important to you? I have to say that as someone who often prays publicly and is doing that again this evening, I've found this particularly challenging this week. And I fear that I may be more of a hypocrite than I dare to admit. And we'll come back to Jesus' solution for people like me, and maybe some of you too, in a moment. It's the model prayer that he gives us. But before we come to that, let's look at the final illustration, which is on fasting, verse 16 to 18. Verse 16, and when you fast. Now, a brief word about fasting. Um, fasting is, is temporarily going without something good, uh, normally food, in order to, fo- to focus our hearts to pray on our need for something greater. So you might fast because of a desire to know God better or to deal with a particular sin in your life that he's dealing with. 
Or you might fast out of a desire to pray to God about a big decision that's coming up. Or you may even fast to pray over grief or loss or other things too. This was something that the Jewish people would have done as part of their regular, um, a regular part of their religious life. And it's something they would have also done spontaneously in response to needs that came up. And I'm not sure if you would practice fasting or not. A lot of Christians uh, that I've spoken to have never fasted before. Sometimes that's just because they've never really thought about it or they just don't really know uh, what to do. Sometimes that's because of a conviction um, that fasting is, is not explicitly commanded in the New Testament. Now that's true. It's, it's not commanded, certainly not in the same way that uh, things like giving and praying are uh, throughout the New Testament. But I want us to notice here that Jesus just assumes that his followers will fast at some point. It's not if you fast, but when you fast. And so if you've never fasted, then maybe that's something that you'd like to think about doing. Now just practically, I wouldn't go in too hard um, straight away. Maybe you could just take a day out uh, this week or even half a day, just miss, maybe miss just one meal and just use that to draw attention to and pray about a particular issue uh, that's going on in your life. But let's get back to the big point that Jesus is making here. If you're going to do that, don't make it obvious that you're doing that. That's the point. That's what he's saying. It's the same point that he's been making before, isn't it? And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, you may have noticed, even in uh, normal life, lots of people like to make a big deal about what they eat and don't eat. It's really common in our culture to boast about the amazing self-control someone has in their diet or whatever um, that might be. Maybe you've come across that. This kind of Drawing attention to one's dietary restraints, uh, it, well, it's pretty common in our culture, but it can take a religious form um, as well. So imagine you bump into Dave on the street and you ask him how he is, and he says, oh, I'm fine. But he doesn't look fine, he hasn't combed his hair, he hasn't shaved, uh, he looks miserable. And so you ask him, look, Dave, are you really fine? Seems like something's off. And he says, well, oh, it's, it's nothing really. I, you know, I shouldn't make a fuss. It's just that I've been, you know, I've been fasting for a few days. All right, you say, well, that's really good. I really struggle um, to do that. And he says, oh, yeah, well, it is, it is difficult, to be honest, at least when you're a beginner. I mean, I've been building up over the years, you know, a day here, a day there. This week I'm on a three-dayer, and that's pretty tough, but I do it just so I can go really deep with the Lord, you know. Jesus has got no time for that kind of self-righteous, sacrificial display. No, he says, when you fast, put on your hair gel and your makeup, just like you normally do. Splash on your Chanel number no. 5. Spray on your Lynx Africa and go and be normal. <coughs> when you fast, no one should be able to tell because it's between you and God. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, by now we've fully got the point, haven't we? Don't be like the hypocrites who do their righteous acts to be seen. Instead, live an authentic spiritual life before your unseen heavenly Father 
any public acts of righteousness that you do need to do, well, make sure that they match your private devotion to the Lord. Now we're coming into land. Jesus has been warning us. He's been warning us about this kind of hypocrisy. But that's not all that he does. Right in the middle of this bit of teaching, he teaches us as well. He teaches us a model prayer. Now we don't have time tonight to go through this prayer phrase by phrase. It would be a great thing to do that. It's got much to teach us. But I want us just to see that at least this one point, that the prayer is the key to getting the authentic life that Jesus commands and commends. Let me just read verse 9 to 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As I said, there's lots in this prayer we could spend a lot of time on it, but let's see the main thing. You see, the person who prays prayers like this, what will happen to them? They will be changed. This person becomes confident that God is their father who loves them. And so the need to impress anybody else starts to dissipate. The orientation of the self-righteous heart moves from self-glory and getting their own will done to God's glory alone and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. The kind of person who prays this pair, they're going to stop pursuing personal gain for others. They're going to stop using their religious activity to promote themselves, but will start to grow in contentment with what the Lord has given them. Just enough bread for today. And this kind of person, they're shifted from their thinking thinking about their righteous acts and how well they are doing, to thinking on their sinfulness and their need for forgiveness and their need for protection from the evil of their own hearts. The prayer moves them. It changes their orientation to God and to their need of God. It moves them. And it moves, look, notice the last note as well. It, moves, it stops them from being hypocritical. Even in this, they can't merely talk about forgiveness. They actually have to forgive those who sin against them. So the prayer is the key. As we pray prayers like this one, we're moved from hypocrisy, the kind of self centeredness that goes with that, to becoming the kind of people who are consistent, who live authentic spiritual lives, lives live with a true inner and outer righteousness in front of our Heavenly Father. As we close, just I'm conscious this evening that this would be a really good thing for us to talk about um, after the service tonight. 
So there may be some questions. I'll remind you these at the end. But maybe some questions we could ask each other. How are you doing on the hypocrisy meter? How are you doing? Are you wearing a mask? Do you feel that you're putting on an act to some degree? Publicly righteous, but privately a mess? Now, many of us will be. Jesus says, beware. And he says, pray. Pray that your Father in heaven might change you, that he might reward you. Let me pray as we close. Oh God, our Father, we thank you that you are the Father who sees what is done in secret. Lord, we want to be people who live authentic spiritual lives before you. We want to be people who avoid hypocrisy of any kind. And so, Lord, we know that we need you to change our hearts. We need you to change our motivations. Stop us, we pray, from looking for the praise of others. And help us to know our Heavenly Father and seek to serve you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well,